place this morning, been to the book of Genesis, different type lesson, more of a Bible study than a sermon, but trust it will be enjoyable, and then we'll make some application uh, when we get to the end of the lesson, if we can. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse number 13, this is a familiar passage, this is the day of Christ's resurrection, and here he encounters a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. We're going to read through this quickly. It'll introduce the topic for this morning. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Behold, two of them went that same day, same day that Jesus got up from the grave, uh, that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened and came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Imagine the scene, two men walking together along the road. A third joins them unbeknownst to these men. That third is none other than the resurrected Jesus Christ. So he's in their company, but they have no idea that it is Christ. In verse number 17, he said to them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as ye walk and are sad? So he's going to join up in the conversation as they're traveling down the road. What you guys talking about? He says in verse 17, and why are you sad? Verse 18, and the one of them whose name was Cleopas answering said to him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem has not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was, look at that, was. They, they just put him in the past tense which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. Not only put him in the past tense, they, they downgraded Christ. He was, well, he certainly was a prophet, but he was much, much more than that. He's God manifest in the flesh, and he's alive both that day and this. Verse 20, how the chief priests and our lords delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him, but we trusted and this is their problem, that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Now, they don't mean from their sins. They don't mean from their pride. They don't mean from their disobedience. They don't mean from their idolatry. They mean from their political situation. They mean from the oppression of the Roman government. They thought that Christ would come and give them freedom politically. But he came to free them from their sins. They, they were looking for Christ to do something other than what the Bible said he was going to come to do. And that led to some sadness in their lives at this point. It's the same thing today. People have expectations of God that are unrealistic and unfounded and not based on anything that God ever said or promised or declared himself to be or to do, and it sets them up for sadness and depression, just like these guys are experiencing here. Uh, we trusted, verse number 21, that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our Company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. When they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which had said that he was alive. Now, I don't know why that troubled them. I don't know why that made them sad. They should have been rejoicing. They should have been exultant. They should have been jubilant. This should have been the greatest day of their lives. The tomb was empty. 
Christ had said that it would be. He said he was going to die. He said he was going to rise again. The ladies went to anoint his body, and the angels said that he was alive. But there was a lot of unbelief in this situation, often a lot of unbelief in our hearts as well. Uh, verse 24, certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said to them, O fools, Christ said to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. It wasn't very nice of him, but it was the truth. Verse number uh, 26, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Moses, that's Genesis. Prophets, that's through Malachi. The entirety of the Old Testament. I would have loved to have heard the lesson that Jesus gave that day on the road to Emmaus as he took the Old Testament scriptures and told these guys how it all pictured and explained and testified of him who he would be and what he would do. The Old Testament is full of types and pictures and shadows of the person and of the work of Jesus Christ, all the way from Genesis to Malachi. Now, Christ is introduced in the book of Matthew. He comes into the world and lives on the earth in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we are not introduced to Jesus in Matthew chapter 2 when he enters the world in Bethlehem's manger. Jesus Christ is, I dare say, in every chapter of the Old Testament scriptures, and he lays this out to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, pick it up in verse number 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, said to them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, supposed they had seen a spirit. He's now with the ten. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Verse 38, Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said to them, Have ye here any meat, they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb, which is really a blessing. It means that in our resurrected body, we will still get to enjoy food. There is something called the marriage supper of the lamb in the book of Revelation that we have to look forward to. I'm not sure we'll be counting calories or anything like that. Just uh, enjoy it in a glorified body. And he took it to eat before them, verse 43, and he said to them, verse 44, These the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then open he their understanding, they might understand the scriptures. Now certainly we have direct prophecies regarding the life of Jesus Christ, where he would be born, who would attend the birth, the miracles that he would perform, where he would live. Many of the details of Christ's life on the earth were directly prophesied in the Old Testament, but there's more than just the direct prophecies. There are so many types and pictures and shadows all throughout both the law and the prophets and the Psalms, every section of the Old Testament scriptures points to Jesus Christ. If you open your Bible and you read it and you don't see Jesus, go back and read it again because you missed him, because he was there, because this book is all about 
one person, and it's not you, and it's not me. It is God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then he was buried. They arose again the third day. According to the scriptures, those scriptures are not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They have not yet been written and circulated. Those scriptures are Genesis through Malachi, the law, the Psalms, the prophets testified how Jesus would come and die and rise again and be the Savior. Timothy was wise concerning salvation from a child. He knew the holy scriptures. What scriptures did Lois and Eunice Teach young Timothy. It wasn't Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It wasn't Romans. It wasn't 1 Corinthians. It was Genesis through Malachi. Now all of that to say this, in the Old Testament scriptures, probably the greatest type, the greatest picture of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is found in the individual to whom we are introduced in Genesis chapter 37, and that's Joseph. You can fill in the heading for that first column in your notes with the name Joseph. Joseph resembles and foreshadows Christ probably, I, I, I think it's safe to say, in more particulars than any other person in the New Testament, in, in the Old Testament, if we have time, we'll cover nine of those this morning, but there are many, many more. So we'll have to move quickly. We'll move through the life of Joseph, point out some things that picture Christ. Then in the right-hand column, you can jot down the references where these are fulfilled. The, the, the shadow uh, becomes a substance in the person of Jesus Christ. So Genesis 37, verse number 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, sometimes, some of you may suspect that your parents have a favorite child. Michael's pretty sure that his parents have a favorite child. They also have a least favorite child. But just the, the, the Bible makes this really clear. I don't know if Jacob admitted it, but he, he certainly demonstrated it, that Joseph was his favorite. Now, one day you're going to become a parent and you're going to want to avoid this. It never works out well, okay? It might be difficult. You might share a lot more in common with some of your children than others. Some might be more likable at times. Our kids are always asking, who's the favorite? And the answer typically is, today is not your day. It changes from day to day based on your attitude and your behavior and, and how you're acting. and um, it, it, Yeah, let's, let's try again tomorrow. So anyway, Joseph is the favorite. And as evidence of this favoritism, which again is to be avoided, did not work well in this situation or any other, Joseph has this coat of many colors. And believe it or not, his brothers are not excited about the fact that Joseph is so loved by his Father, but the picture, the type, what we see that is representative 
of Jesus Christ is the love that Jacob has for Joseph is the love that God the Father has for God the Son. How is Joseph a picture and type of Jesus Christ? Point number one, he is loved by his Father. You might not have time to follow me to all the references, but I want you to jot them down. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. This is Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my, listen to it, beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God the Father announced for all the world to hear, I love my Son. This is my beloved son. He pleases me well. The same announcement was made on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 and verse number 5. Matthew 17 and verse 5, the Bible says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Write down John 15, verse number 9. John 15. And verse 9, there the Bible says this, John 15, 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue me, continue ye in my love, Jesus said. And John 17, 24, John 17 and verse 24, Jesus praying the eve of his crucifixion, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. You understand, before there was anything, there was God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in eternity past. The triune, eternal Godhead was there before there was time, before there was matter, before he created the heaven and the earth. There was the Father and there was the Son and there was a love between the twain. Okay, so loved by his father. Come back to Genesis 37, or just look there if you're still there, and I'll come back down to verse number 13. Genesis 37 and verse number 13. Point number two. And Israel said, and that's Jacob, Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, here am I. So point number one, Joseph was loved by his father. Point number two, Joseph was sent by his father. And Joseph, just like Jesus, completely willing to do the father's will. What did Jesus say? My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Seven times in the gospel of John, Jesus clearly, unmistakably states that he has been sent by the Father. He is going in obedience to his Father's instruction. The Father is the one who, who planned and designed this method and this mechanism for redeeming sinful man. The Son is the one who carried out the plan in obedience and submission to the Father. But the Father sent the Son. 1 John 4, 14. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of 
the world. Joseph is sent by Jacob to his brethren. Jesus is sent by God into the world. Genesis 37, verse number 4. How'd that go for Joseph? About the same way that it went for Jesus. Genesis 37 and verse number 4. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Look at verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to slay him, and they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Joseph was not popular with his brothers. He may have been loved by the father. He was not loved by his brethren. So point number three, the way that Joseph pictures Jesus is in his rejection. He was rejected by his brethren. Joseph made the decision to share with them his dreams, which indicated that they would bow down to him And believe it or not, they did not appreciate the dreams that Joseph had. They did not believe the dreams that Joseph had. Uh, They planned to get rid of this dreamer. They conspired to kill him. We know what happened. Reuben stepped in and Joseph was put in a pit instead of put in a grave while they took some time to decide their next steps. But Joseph rejected by his brethren Jesus Christ suffered much the same fate. John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. There the Bible says this. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was rejected by his very creation. John chapter 1 And verse 11, it extended to the members of his immediate family. Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters, at least four brothers, at least two sisters. And the Bible says in John 7, verse number 5, Neither did his brethren believe in him. If anyone would have believed that Jesus was who he said he was and that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Certainly those who grew up with him and saw him and, 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 and never observed any sin, certainly they would believe that he was more than just the son of Mary, but indeed the son of God, and yet his very brethren rejected him and did not believe on him. In Matthew 13, 53 through 58, And John 5, verse 16, we have the same points given. Matthew 13, 53 through 58, and John 5, 16. We'll not take the time to read those just now. Well, let's go back to Genesis 37. Let's find out what happens to Joseph. He's put in a pit. Reuben steps in and says, let's not kill him. So they come up with a better idea. Let's at least make some money off of him. They're sitting there having lunch while Joseph's down in the pit. And some Ishmaelites pass by, some Midianite merchantmen, and and a great idea. I mean, a light bulb goes off. Instead of killing him, let's sell him. And so that's what they do. Genesis 37 and verse number 28. Then there passed by Midianites merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit. 
and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. So here are the brothers, and they decide uh, Joseph's got to be worth something. And so they bring him out of the pit, uh, but not to take him home, uh, to sell him to some merchant men. Joseph is sold. The price that was paid is 20 pieces of silver. Look at 39 in verse number 1. Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites. Now, let's have a little business lesson right here, okay? So the Ishmaelites paid 20 pieces of silver for Joseph. They took him into Egypt and they sold him to Potiphar. These Ishmaelites were merchant men. What a merchant does is he buys merchandise and then sells merchandise. But the only way that that is a business transaction is that he sells it for more than he bought it. You pay one price for the goods and then you sell them for a higher price. That's that's how you make money. It's not a wicked thing. That's not a bad thing. I mean, be honest, be just, be fair, all that uh, good stuff. But here, here are these merchant men that buy Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. Now, don't get involved in this kind of trade, but 20 pieces of silver for Joseph, sell them to Potiphar. I'm sure they made a profit. He was sold in Egypt for more than 20 pieces. They're, There's probably a price I suspect was paid. Come to Matthew 26. Joseph is sold for silver. That's the picture. That's the type. That's the similarity that we find. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. How could those men sell their own brother into slavery? Well, how could Judas do what we're about to read in Matthew 26, verse 14? Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest. He gets up from the Last Supper, and this is what he goes and does. And he said to them, What will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. In Matthew 27, verses 1 through 4, he comes back, throws the money on the table, says, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. But Judas is given 30 pieces of silver to betray the Lord. In Zechariah 11 and verse 12, I'll read it to you. Zechariah 11, verse 12, And I said to them, He think good, give me my price, and if not forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of of silver. Joseph is a picture, is a type, is a foreshadowing. He points to the Lord Jesus in this regard, just like the Son of God. He was sold for silver. Point number five, we already read the verse. Joseph, where was he taken? He was taken from Shechem in that pit, sold to the Midianite merchant men, and they brought him down to Egypt, where he was purchased by Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. Point number five, Joseph was taken to 
Egypt. You remember what happened? Jesus Christ is born in Bethlehem. The wise men come to worship him. They go to Jerusalem. They go to King Herod. They say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For some reason, Herod was not excited to hear that news. He had the scribes look up and find where Christ was to be born. And they found the prophecy from Micah 5.2 that it was to be in Bethlehem, in Ephrata. And so Herod, he sends a delegation, but not to worship the Christ child. He sends the soldiers into Bethlehem to kill every baby boy under the age of two. The angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream and says, Herod is seeking the lad's life. You need to go to Egypt. So Jesus Christ, up until we don't know how old, did not grow up in Bethlehem, did not grow up in Nazareth, did not grow up in Jerusalem. He was taken down to Egypt. That's Matthew 2, verses 13 through 15. Matthew 2, verses 13 through 15, as well as the prophecy in Hosea 11, verse number 1. Matthew 2, 13 through 15, Hosea 11, verse 1. Joseph taken to Egypt. Jesus, likewise, taken to Egypt. You know what happened to Joseph? He was falsely accused. He was thrown in prison, but God prospered him. God blessed him. He ended up being a prisoner running the prison there in Egypt. Pharaoh's butler, Pharaoh's baker, they get thrown in jail. They have a dream. Joseph interprets. The baker is killed. The butler's restored. Pharaoh then has a dream. It really troubles him, and butler remembers, oh yeah, there's a guy in the prison who can interpret the dream. Joseph is called. God gives him the interpretation. Joseph is made the second ruler in all of Egypt. God is beginning to turn things around for this honorable young man. But at what point in Joseph's life did all of that take place? At what point in Joseph's life did he rise to prominence? Did he, uh, was he revealed to the public eye? Remember, he was 17 when he was sent by his father to his brethren to bring back a report in Genesis 41, verse 46. Genesis 41, verse 46. Look what the Bible says here. <coughs> Genesis 41, 46. And when Joseph was 30 years old, which seems kind of young from this vantage point, and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So 13 years have passed. He was 17 in Genesis 37. He's 30 in Genesis 41. Look with me at Luke 3, verse 23. How does this picture Christ? Luke 3 and verse number 23. This chapter traces the genealogy of Mary, the mother of Jesus, but it starts with this phrase. <coughs> Luke 3 and verse number 23. Luke three twenty three And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. Joseph rose to prominence. How old was he? 30 years old. 
Jesus begins his public ministry. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and manifested unto Israel and declared to be the Messiah. When did all that begin? When did he rise to prominence? When was he revealed to the public eye? It was at the age of 30. Number six, rose to prominence at 30 years old. Come back to Genesis 41. Genesis 41 Look at the seventh point where Joseph pictures Christ. Genesis 41 and verse number 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah. No, Zaph, there's an extra A. Zaphnath-Paneah. I'm certain that's how you say that. Zaphnath-Paneah. And he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of on, and Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So this is very interesting. Joseph takes a Gentile bride. Joseph takes a Gentile bride. Now, come on, Joseph, he's in the Israelite lineage. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. But he's down in Egypt, and he's given a wife, and he takes a wife, and she's an Egyptian. She's a Gentile, Joseph takes a Gentile bride. Well, what does Jesus do? He comes into the world. He's sent by the Father. He's rejected by his brethren. He dies on the cross. He's buried. He rises again. He gathers to himself a people, both Jew and Gentile, but predominantly Gentile, born into the body of Christ. And Ephesians 5, verse 32 says... That this whole thing about Adam and Eve and man and wife and, and, and husband and marriage, it, it's all a picture, it's all a, it's type. Christ and the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Just like Joseph took a Gentile bride, Jesus came into the world and he took to himself a Gentile bride. With the exception of Elijah here, uh, I doubt many of us have any Jewish blood coursing through our veins, but we're born again and saved. If you've called on the Lord, if you've trusted the Savior, then you are part of the bride of Christ. Now, the wife of God the Father is Israel, but the bride of God the Son is the church. So Joseph pictures Jesus in that he took a Gentile bride. Look at Genesis 50. We begin to wind down the story. Genesis 50, verse number 20. Jacob dies, and the brothers are concerned that the time for retribution has come. And so they concoct this story about how their father on his deathbed asked Joseph to forgive his brethren. We have no record of that taking place, no reason to believe that it was the case. Um, these guys don't have impeccable character. We're, we're not really trusting what they say. But they're trying to save their own neck. And they're concerned that uh, come up it is just around the corner. Is that, in fact, a word or is that just comeuppance? Is that a word? We'll, we'll look that up later. Genesis 50 and verse number 20. The Bible says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now, a lot of bad things happen to Joseph. 
You, you would not want to be Joseph. He, he really went through quite a lot. I mean, his, his life story is unimaginable. But God had a purpose in it. And that purpose was for him to be a savior. You see, if Joseph had not gone to Egypt and interpreted Potiphar's dream and stored up grain for all of those years of plenty, then when the famine came, Joseph's family would have died and and many other families would have died and the people of Egypt would have died because Joseph had foresight and because Joseph could interpret the dream and because God was with Joseph and revealed the future and they stored up grain then many people, their lives were saved. And that was the purpose, that was the plan, that was the intent. That's why God allowed all these things to take place, which is a great lesson for us because from our perspective, we we very rarely understand why things happen the way that they do. It's not till you get to the end and look back that you're ever able to have any idea. But God has a purpose and a plan. And so Joseph became Savior of all. Joseph became Savior of all. Hopefully you can see how this pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We already read that, 1 John 4, 14. Matthew 1, 21. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 1 Timothy 4, verse number 10. He is the Savior of all the world, especially of them that believe. He became the Savior of all. Matthew 1, 21. 1 Timothy 4, 10. Ninth and final point, come with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 7 in the New Testament. Stephen is testifying before the council. He's about to be stoned to death, become the first Christian martyr. (coughs) But he's, he's speaking in his own defense. He is tracing the history of the children of Israel He is using their history to point to Jesus Christ who is raised up by God to be a Savior. He makes a very interesting statement regarding Joseph that points us to the Son of God. Acts chapter 7 and verse number 13. Uh, Start in verse number 11. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. And remember how this took place. Jacob sends his sons to Egypt, and Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And he uh, performs a, a series of tests. <laughs> he, he first says, you're all going to be uh, prisoners and then send one until your brother comes. And then he says, well, I'll just keep Simeon. All you go back to your father bring, and bring your brother. He, he was trying to determine if Benjamin is still alive. Did they do the same thing to him that they, that they did to me? <laughs> and, and, and so the brothers come the first time. And he sends the money back in their sacks. Remember that? 
And then Jacob's not going to come back, but there's still no food. And Judah finally convinces Jacob, we've, we've got to go. We've got to take Benjamin. And so they come the second time. And that's when Joseph reveals himself. And they're invited to his house. And there's a meal. And, and then Joseph makes himself known to his brethren. You remember that in the narrative in Genesis. You go back and read it if you don't remember. But Acts 7.13, at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren. How does this picture Jesus being made known the second time? Well, there's something in the Bible called the first advent of Jesus Christ. The first coming of of Jesus Christ. That's when he was sent by his father and rejected by his brethren. But there's something in the future prophesied in the scripture called the second coming of Jesus Christ or the second advent of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes again, he will be fully revealed and manifested and understood to be the Son of God, instead of being rejected by His own, He'll be received by His own. Revelation 1.7 says, Every eye shall see Him. Romans 11.25 says that all Israel shall be saved. He is made known the second time, just like Joseph was. Interesting. These nine points and many others, how Joseph pictures Jesus Christ. What's What's the application here? What's the point of this kind of Bible study? Very, very quickly, here's what we're trying to do. We're magnifying the Lord. And not just magnifying the Lord, magnifying the Scriptures. Because these types of things are proof of the divine inspiration of the Bible. There is no way that man could put all of these things together And as you read the scripture, as you study the scripture, as you listen to preaching, here's what ought to happen. It ought to increase our love for the Lord. It ought to increase our love and desire for his word. It ought to increase our determination that this book is true. And listen, guys, it's worth reading. It's worth studying. It's worth hearing. It's worth believing. It's worth making the guide for your life. Love the scripture, listen to the scripture, live by the scripture because this book is the word of God and that God loves you so much. He sent his son to be your savior and we're thankful for that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these truths from your word. Uh, God, I pray that you'd work in our hearts that which would be well-pleasing in your sight. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.